Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Good day, good night, and welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Kevin Laramie, that's me. I have Mark Daly on the line as always. Mark, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Kevin. It is a beautiful fall morning here in Vancouver on the west coast of Canada. I've got a day off. I'm here talking Formula One with you. So yeah, things are great. Nice. It's good to have a day off. It's always good to have a day off too. So uh, it's fun to have a day off even though it's uh, Vancouver weather here today. It's uh, it's raining and uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of dark. So there's that. Oh. Yeah, we did that over the weekend, and, and now we've got somebody else's uh, uh, weather here, and we're, we're living on borrowed time, to yeah. be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Uh, let's start today's show by talking about a new app, or maybe the resurgence of an old app. F1 launches dedicated lifetiming app after criticism of the new one, which wasn't working properly, it was not user-friendly, it was full of bugs and kinks. It just back to old. Sometimes the new is not always necessarily improved, and if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I was complaining last week on the show how disappointed and frustrated I was with the uh, the new and improved uh, app. Most uh, well, specifically because when you had to go through the app to get to the to the the timing section that you actually had to navigate through a page that gave you the full race results, which to me seemed kind of counterproductive. And then once you actually activated the live timing, there was several minutes of dead air rather than on the old version of the app. When you hit play, as soon as the green lights went went on, everything was all good. And then, like you say, it crashed and definitely wasn't uh, uh, very user-friendly at all. But I you know, I was shocked at the amount of outrage that, uh, that I saw on uh, social media in the uh, the days after the Singapore Grand Prix, but you know, kudos to F1 for splitting them out. I, I think actually it's a good idea. Why not have the uh, if, if it if it's too much to have the two apps together? Why not uh, put them uh, put them separately? And uh, hopefully they they get it right. Uh, the the big test will be this weekend at the Russian Grand Prix. But uh, I'm surprised. Not only did they change something that didn't need to be uh, changed, but they reacted pretty quickly to the amount of. Uh, outrage among their their fans and users of their app so uh shame on them and kudos to them all in the same <laughs> breath yeah that would have never happened under ben urinkelstall because it would have been well if you're not happy that's your own problem liberty media <laughs> is more fan focused and more like okay yeah, yeah this is not ideal we're gonna fix it for you all and uh that's pretty much liberty media's uh job and role now is to make sure that whatever improvement they try to do that it's coherent with what the fans want and this timing app which is one of the great pleasures of watching formula one is you can control some of the information you get it's one thing to watch it on tv and have app uh, and have the timing 
after a few laps and everything. But having the multiple screen experience, if you are a member of the F1.com circuit or any other places where you can watch live timing and live different angles, a pit camera, like every little details, the way you want to watch the race is actually one of the fun part of Formula One, the interactivity that you can have and not just on social media, but somewhere else. And you can almost... Uh, make believe your spouse is watching with you that you know so much by looking at your phone and getting the timing correctly. Be like, you know what? I- I'm noticing that he's his timing is uh, half a second down, and you can actually react and be quicker than a commentator sometimes by noticing what's going right or what's going wrong. And it's one of the benefit of watching the timing app. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. It really does for the you know the geeks and the nerds out there like myself who who really want the full experience it really feels like it puts you on the pit wall so uh, to to have the the really scaled back timing and the really buggy app it really took away from the uh, the experience i mean uh, in, in the grand scheme of things it doesn't cost a lot for the year subscription i mean it's it's basically a dollar something per race so you know big deal right but when you think the amount of um added value that it gives to each and every race it, uh, it it really took away from a lot and was disappointing. But like you say, they're fan focused and they were quick uh, to react to it. So let's hope that the the, the new version is good. I, I've downloaded the specific timing app uh, that came out this morning. Haven't tried it out yet, so I'm going to reserve judgment and criticism at least uh, at least until I get a chance to to try it out. Before we look at 2019 and the driver lineups for Sauber that's been announced, and we'll look at Marcus Ericsson's comments as well. Uh, he's out of a car right now for next year, and, well, I don't think he's going to find a one, find a seat for next year. Sebastian yeah. Vettel sets sights on winning all remaining races. He thinks there's still a shot. He thinks there's still a potential driver's championship in his 2018 crystal ball, but to be quite fair... I don't know how much of this is lip service, fan service for the Tifosi and how much is actually realistic. Because even though at some races this year he did have the quickest car, race circumstances and crucial mistakes by his part, not the team part this year, his part, have cost him the championship in my mind. Yeah, Kevin, yeah, you're totally right, and uh, I agree. I mean, it, if you take any one of these um, things, uh, like incidents and races where he's thrown away points, uh, on a one-off, it's not a big deal because even guys like Lewis Hamilton have bad races and don't score. I mean, Lewis doesn't win each and every race, and neither does Vettel, but the thing is, if you take Baku, if you take France, if you take Germany, if you take <laughs> all these different races, you take Italy, put them all together, and you look at the amount of points that he's uh, left on the table, and you look at the where he was on the track when these things happened. I mean, he's left a lot of points out there, and ultimately that's what I fear is going to cost him uh, the, the the world champion. And I said even a couple of months ago that I felt that Lewis was going to win his fifth world driver's championship this year just because he's not making the mental mistakes He's um, he he just is not putting a foot wrong out there. I mean, of course, Lewis can put in these like incredibly fast laps when he needs to. I mean, he can get it done on the track, obviously. But more crucially, he's not sticking his nose in where he doesn't need to. I mean, how many times do we see Lewis Hamilton lose a front wing or barge <laughs> into somebody? I mean, never. It, it doesn't happen. Or complain um, to his team about bad strategy or bad tactics. It's it yeah. hasn't happened for Lewis Hamilton because in my mind, Mercedes are compartmentalizing Lewis Hamilton's job. They're giving him a certain amount of, of of things to do and look out 
look after at the same time, taking care yeah. of the West and I, I, maybe not taking care of the rest 100%, but giving the impression to Lewis Hamilton that everything else will be up to par. And we've talked about this last time we were together. Uh, Sebastian Vettel feels like he needs to run the entire team because he doesn't see the professionalism or the competence to the level that he believes he has. And I think that's the biggest difference between those two teams. Lewis Hamilton is ready to trust the people he works with. Sebastian Vettel yeah. believes yep. he needs to instill competence. And those are two totally different mindsets. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny what you're just saying that, you know, you never hear those complaints about uh, the strategy from Lewis Hamilton and uh, and Mercedes. I mean, there is, in my uh, memory, only one exception. And that was this year at Austria where they did actually blow their their strategy. And Lewis was he complained about it on the on the radio. And, uh, you know, he gets he, he gets an apology over the radio. And then it was a bit of a moot point because both cars ultimately retired. But that is the only time I can ever recall them ever having that conversation, especially in public. Whereas we've heard this multiple times uh, from Sebastian Vettel just uh, criticizing Ferrari, just like, you know, the, the the whole strategy thing. I mean, I, I thought that the the whole thing about um, Raikkonen and, um, and, and Vettel going uh, one, two, at uh, Q3 in Italy was a bit strange because you just knew Kimi going in the, where he was was going to get the toe from all those cars and uh, he gets the pole position and ultimately, well, I mean, if that doesn't mean that uh, that incident between Vettel and Hamilton wouldn't have happened on the opening lap, but if he was ahead, then uh, definitely uh, it may have been postponed or may not have uh, <laughs> happened at all, just having that, uh, that buffer between them. But, I, I mean, Ferrari, that has been the criticism over the past several years is that uh, their pit strategy at times is just, it's, it's bizarre and uh, it, it seems to be completely off point. And, uh, well, you, you just take that and uh, the, the mistakes that Sebastian Vettel has made and it really, <laughs> really is not a good combination. And uh, I, I think that even though he's saying the right things you know, for, to his fans that he's uh, targeting six race wins in the remaining six races, <laughs> when you get to that point where it's basically you need <laughs> to win out to, <laughs> and, and you need a lot of help, the, the season, whatever sport it is, is, is basically done because yeah. I, I know that, you know, it, it's 40 points. I mean, when Nico Rosberg won his championship in 2016, what was the gap that he had to to Hamilton? Remember, he had a very good start to the season. He had 40-plus points yeah. at the beginning of the year. And it took Hamilton two-thirds of the season to catch up. And then when his engine blew in Malaysia that year, that just really that gave rap, Rosberg huh? breathing room that he needed. And from there, he didn't need to win every race. It was just like, okay, as long as I don't finish uh, uh, further back than third or a second or exactly. fourth or whatever it is. you know. The thing is, is, and, is you're right, Hamilton doesn't need to win out. Hamilton needs to finish second behind uh, Vettel if Vettel wins six races. And guess what? Hamilton still wins the championship. Yeah. So, so that's, a, that's, that, that's a big, big statement to say from Vettel that, oh, yeah, I'm thinking of winning. Just start by winning one. <laughs> Never mind the five other after. Well, we'll talk about this, too, in a minute, but, I mean, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, going to Sochi this weekend, it's been dominated by Mercedes in the first four years. It's been Hamilton, Botas, and Rosberg that have uh, won that race. And, well, I mean, Ferrari, they do obviously have the better car than Mercedes this year, but they just haven't uh, taken advantage of it. 
And, uh, well, who knows? I mean, uh, are, are you really going to bet against uh, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes at a track where they've never lost at? So <laughs> it's a, a bit of a tricky one. But, yeah, definitely, Seb, he's left too many points out there. And I, I'm really starting to question his mental toughness. I don't know <laughs> if he has the, the, the mental uh, toughness and the, the, the psychology to win another world championship, to be quite honest. That, that's a good segue, Mark, into this article on ESPN.co.uk where Sebastian Vettel says he doesn't need a mental coach. It goes back to what I was saying between Hamilton and Vettel. Hamilton has been driving lights out for Mercedes ever since Mercedes accepted what type of person and what type of preparation Lewis Hamilton prefers, not questioning necessarily his decisions and what he does midweek or on a Tuesday, even if he's out having fun at a club with his uh, friends, musical friends, friends in the uh, star system world, actors or models. Not questioning this and letting him prove himself gave Hamilton the confidence in not just himself, but the confidence that the people surrounding him believes in him and not just question everything, which maybe was a problem when he first joined Mercedes was Mercedes was trying to control their investment because yes, he's a driver, but he's an investment, right, for Mercedes. And he, they were trying to control his in and outs and his goings of, of travel or anything. And once they accepted that, Yes, he is different. He's himself. He's his own man, home person, and likes to do things his way. They've created a good working relationship. For Sebastian Vettel, seems like he had an idea of what Ferrari was. When you're on the outside looking in, it all looks great. And then you come in and you realize, oh, the roof is leaking. There's a lot of things not necessarily the way I thought they were. And then Vettel believes and maybe puts himself in a higher pedestal saying, I know how this should be done. Because I've experienced it at Red Bull with different means and different ways and a more, I would say, more liberal way to look at tactics, at building a car and an improvement. It's still very conservative at Ferrari and it's clashing identities. And I believe both sides, so Vettel and Ferrari, hasn't found that trust factor yet to believe. So it's probably more Vettel versus Ferrari than Ferrari versus Vettel. But that trust factor between the two that would eliminate doubt that would eliminate uh back talking saying oh yeah you think this i think that that you just go with it it's a question of bandwidth the bandwidth of inter-exchange between the two it's a too high flux and you need to have the trust to make this a little bit more seamless and i think that's one of the things that's lacking from vettel versus ferrari and ferrari versus vettel and a mental mm -hmm. coach will probably help vettel realize that you know it's not just about you it's about the team. Ferrari's bigger than you. Stop trying to control this team. Yeah. Well, th this might be a little bit of an obvious statement that I'm gonna about to say, but what the hell, I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> but the, the, the big moment for me that really made me question where his head is at goes back to Baku last year behind the safety car when he decided to play bumper cars with Lewis <laughs> Hamilton. Yeah, when that's he, true. When he thought you know, that, that Lewis was trying to brake test him and he pulls up beside him. I'm, I've never seen anything like that in Formula One until uh, Sergio Perez did whatever he did last week in Singapore. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> but it was no room. It was not my fault. I didn't see him. Yes, Sergio, sure. Sure. <laughs> but uh, that was a, a, a bit of an odd uh, 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 situation with uh, Vettel and Hamilton that year. But even going back a couple of years, I mean, his last year at Red Bull in 2014, he finished fifth in the World Championship with 167 points. His teammate, Daniel Ricciardo, finished third in the world championship behind Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton. Lewis, obviously, he won it that year. 
But uh, Ricardo had 238 points, which was very, very respectable. Uh, Nico had 317. Lewis had 384. He was well ahead of Valerie Bottas, who was fourth in the uh, the Williams that year. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a long time before we say anything about like uh, a Williams driver being there. He had 186. And Vettel was uh, quite a ways back. I mean, 167, just only six points ahead of uh, Fernando Alonso in the in the Ferrari. And we know Ferrari then is nowhere near or as good as Ferrari is now. So it is a, a very strange, strange situation. And, and I think that's why the, the signing of Charles Leclerc for next year is extremely interesting. I mean, you get a, a guy, that's a, a very talented young guy, which historically is not Ferrari's thing. They've only done it a couple of times in their history to put a, a guy like Charles in a car like that. And I think that he's going to provide the thing that Kimmy couldn't do. And just I, I think that just one-on-one, I think that Seb is just that little bit quicker than Kimmy. And I think that's maybe to a certain degree, he's he's just comfortable with that. Just gonna, consciously or unconsciously, he knows that he is just, if he just go, goes out and does what he does, he's going to be quicker than Re- Kimmy Raikkonen. But now you get a young, hard charger like Charles Leclerc, who's a very, very talented driver. Put him in an identical car instead of a Sauber, and I think we're gonna. I, I think it's gonna be interesting. I would. Uh, I would expect there would be uh, team orders, of course, if it gets to that point. But uh, I think uh, Charles is gonna give uh, Vettel the, the the run for his money, and I think that's what uh, both Vettel and Ferrari really need to to really, you know, yeah. get a kick up uh, the the backside, if you want to say it uh, that way, well, and uh, and really kind of push them along because otherwise, if they don't then Mercedes just being Mercedes and the, the, the machine that they are and uh, the, the, the resources that they have and the driver that they have in Lewis Hamilton, they're just going to keep on winning. It's uh, just as simple as that. To kick Vettel off his pedestal. And I think that's truly what he, what he needs to be shown. And look, you're good. You're pretty good. You won four world championship. How much of it was you? How much of it was the Red Bull car? And this guy, Charles Leclerc, comes in and he's going to challenge you. You, and you have to be ready to be challenged because it's not what have you done for me lately. It's what are you going to do for me tomorrow. That's what Formula One is. It's a night towards the future, not a night towards back accomplishments. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why Leclerc is going to Ferrari. Speaking of a night towards the future and not a night towards the now or the past, uh, Honda plans 2019 experiments and remaining 2018 races with an eye towards the future, with an eye towards giving uh, Red Bull, the Honda engine, uh, more scrutiny and more power and more performance is going to be asked by Red Bull versus Honda starting next year. And they're going to use the remaining races in 2018 to test some theories, to do some experiences with the engine, the drivetrain, in eyes looking forward to 2019. Well, I think that just goes to show you, Kevin, just how serious and how committed they are to to Formula One and giving a good engine to Red Bull. And it's really amazing. If you go back just a year ago, there were real questions whether or not Formula One was going to be able to keep Honda in there. And of course, that was their desire to keep them in the series, to power one team or another. And then you get that whole real bizarre kind of switcheroo with Toro Rosso and McLaren and Carlos Sainz as part of the package deal. And that huge, huge penalty clause that uh, McLaren has to pay to break that, uh, that, that, that contract with Honda just to, to get Renault's instead. And uh, you get the, the situation with Renault, or sorry, with uh, Red Bull, 
basically double dipping. I mean, they had the Renault engines in their car. They had the, the Hondas in their own, in their, their, their sister yeah. team. So they're getting the, the, the data from both engines this year. And I think that's why, obviously, they spent so much time earlier this summer making up uh, the decision, making up their mind, which one are we going to go with? And ultimately, they made that cho- uh, choice to, to go with Honda. And uh, it's, I think, uh, interesting that they are going to try out some of these theories because where else are you going to get that really valuable data? Sure, you can do it on the computer modeling it. Sure, you can do it on the test track. But there's nothing like for real world racing conditions, the stress that these uh, cars and these engines undergo during the course of uh, basically a two hour Grand Prix that runs for several hundred, uh, you know, a couple hundred kilometers, a couple hundred miles and uh, and and all the stresses that uh, that go into it so i think it's really interesting and uh again if they can produce uh, an engine that uh, that powers red bull because we know that red bull is going to design a good car i mean that's just well, almost yeah. basically a, this uh, this point but if they can at least uh, develop their engine to the point where red bull is say at a minimum the same sort of benchmark as where they are this year then uh, they're doing very well for 2019, and if they're ahead of the Renault Works team and uh, McLaren at that point, I think there's going to be a lot of egg on some people's faces. Uh, most notably at uh, McLaren, the uh, <laughs> management there. I mean, I, you know, for, this is a bit of a tangent, but I, I do feel a little bit more confident now that uh, Zach Brown is kind of asserting himself. Yeah, and some of the decisions that he's made, but I, I think that is definitely a long-term project to, to turn that around, and it just it just does not look good for them every time you, you see Toro Rosso doing well, outperforming them, and then it doesn't look good that one of McLaren's basically rivals, Red Bull, decides, oh, well, you know, if you don't want the Honda engines, yeah, we're going to take we'll them. Take They're it. good. They, they actually won't. have a lot more potential <laughs> than the engine you have now. And we'll make them look good. <laughs> that's a big yeah, difference too look good. <laughs> and uh so what does it say about mclaren too that uh, their famed chassis maybe wasn't that good <laughs> maybe yeah, it was that too yeah. yeah yeah that's that's another very good point that you make kevin <laughs> all right speaking of mclaren uh, sergio perez never considered a mclaren return for 2019 it is assumed that soon force india uh racing point Force India will announce the return of Sergio Perez for their 2019 lineup. Speaking of 2019 lineup, Antonio Giovanese to partner with Kimi Raikkonen at Sober in 2019, the sixth team to officially announce their driver lineup for the 2019 season. For our left, are you surprised? And for me to see Giovanese, a Ferrari development driver. With Kimi Raikkonen, still huge ties with Ferrari, current Ferrari driver. This, for me, really shows that Alfa Romeo Sauber is embracing their identity as a works team for Ferrari. This is going to help Alfa Romeo Sauber have more data, have more comparison point, have more budget, future, whatever you want to call it, have more performances too, and embracing their sister team, Ferrari and truly getting what Toro also gets out of Red Bull and I truly feel with that partnership yeah you have to really believe that Ferrari is like okay guys uh you offer Romeo Saber offer Romeo is one of our brands and we're 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 partners on a lot of uh of things the engine the drivetrain the power the MG UK how about you take our our two drivers that we still have under our umbrella and you give them a job for next year and we'll see what happens and embrace your work steam aspect and this really looks is what i think it looks like now 
you know, it, it's really interesting the, the the way that it worked out. So apparently Ferrari, the deal that they have with Sauber, they're allowed to nominate a driver for the second seat in that team. Um, and apparently that's what they did with uh, Antonio. And so the the deal that uh, Raikkonen made with uh, w- with the team, apparently he did on his own. So how much he did on that own or how much it was kind of uh, hinted at him to do it on his own so they could get their, their second driver in there anyways. So, well, that's kind of, I guess, uh, a conspiracy theory for the for the tinfoil hat crowd. But I think that obviously Kimmy, he brings so much experience to the team and uh, he's going to help them uh, develop that car <clears throat> and be able to, to get more out of it. And then you're getting also a very good young driver in uh, Giovinazzi who um, uh, had a couple of outings in the Sauber last year. Of course, at that time, that was uh, a 2017 chassis with a 2016 engine in it, which it just wasn't meant for. So they struggled basically from the very first uh, lap at the Australian Grand Prix to the very final lap at Abu Dhabi last year. But uh, I, I think that it's obviously a team that's moving up from the back of the, the, the grid into the midfield. And it's kind of interesting to see how things are kind of changing around in Formula One. I mean, Sauber on the way up is watching Williams on the way down and they're kind of crossing paths there. And uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And uh, I think that it's good to see because, I mean, it seemed to have been a team on life support for the last uh, little while or several years until... uh, uh, Monique of uh, Kaltenborn was uh, was, was ousted and uh, Masur came in, t- t- took over as team principal. And of course, this year, you know, they have the Alfa Romeo sponsorship. Uh, you know, the, the car is completely rebranded. You get Charles Leclerc in that car. And all of a sudden, things are looking really, uh, really uh, uh, good. Things are looking uh, nice. And uh, then, of course, uh, the, the, the moves for next year. I think the future is looking bright for, for Sauber. They're not going to be that sort of final row last row joke that they've been for for the last uh, several years and i think too that's just the the fact that they're bringing in or that uh, that that uh, antonio's going there and erickson is out as a pay driver i think uh, says a lot because i mean charles has been so much faster yeah. than erickson this year and uh, an identical car and it's just like okay well i mean that obviously comes down to talent because we know the salver is not one of the best cars on the grid but I mean, Charles has been scoring points when he's been taking it into Q3. I mean, Ericsson's had a couple of good drives here and there. But, I mean, for the most part, it's been polar opposites between what those two guys have been doing with that car. Seems like F1, and this might be in the hot take right here, but seems like F1 slowly is moving away from the pay-to-drive drivers. Magnus Eriksson is probably not going to have a seat in Formula 1 in 2019 unless... As a very surprising move, a Toro Rosso, Williams, or Haas hires him, which I can't see happening. Sirotkin yeah. is probably not going to be back at Williams, so there's a pay-to-play driver right there that might not be coming back. I do believe now that the performance aspect and the reliability of a driver are becoming more important than the money you bring in because of the aspect of works team versus full team, the aspect of bigger sponsors, less sponsor, but bigger ones, and the aspect, too, of maybe the spending cap limit that's maybe going to happen in Formula 1 in the next few years, so you don't need 
700 million euros per year you might be okay with 150 and your current sponsor lineup might be enough to to cover that so maybe this is the beginning of the end for pay to drive drivers and i truly feel it's a good for it's good for the sport because look at some of those drivers 10 to 12 seconds off a same lap for, for of the pole position last week in Singapore, which is crazy, and I do feel you're going. You're still going to have the Sergio Perez, but but Perez is a pay-to-drive driver, but he's got the performance to back it up. Same for Olkenberg. Yeah. They they come yeah, in with. Think, the, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Sorry, Kevin. No, I was just going to say um, that, uh, you know, Sergio Perez, yes, he does have the uh, the, the results to back it up, and I was uh, making a, a bit of a comment, a snide remark about him earlier, but that's not usually the, the Sergio Perez that we've seen. I mean, he is a reliable driver. He does have pace, but, uh, you know, some of these pay-to-drive drivers, I mean, they're just basically their... Backmarkers. ...their money, and uh, they just can't uh, deliver. They, they might as well put you or me in the car. We'll probably only lap another 12 seconds I'll, a lap slower than those guys. I'll kill myself, but <laughs> that's something else. Yeah, you uh, have some doing it, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so there's that aspect. And Stroll, like, is Stroll a pay driver? Well, he had the performances on his way up, and it's not his fault. His dad bought a team. So he's technically not going to pay to drive, but he might have a drive. He's not the pay-to-drive driver. He's got a dad that's the pay-to-own owner, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> we know there's lineups of six teams. Four teams are left with the unofficial lineup. So let's go through those four teams and the names most likely right now to fill those seats. Force India... It's not announced. It's to be confirmed. But I believe you can put a lot of money on the return of Sergio Perez and the transfer of Lance Stroll to Racing Point Force India. Yeah, that just seems to be, um, I wouldn't say the, the worst kept secret in Formula One, but it just seems it's uh, very obvious that it's going to happen at, uh, at some point. So, uh, you know, I, I, I was listening to Lance getting interviewed before the Singapore Grand Prix. He, of course, kind of played his cards close to the chest, uh, saying, you know, I'm just uh, thinking about the, 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 the race ahead and the rest of the season here at Williams and whatever, you know, comes in my future kind of thing. You know, we'll, we'll deal with it as these things come up. So it's, it's not what he said. It's what he didn't say. And, of course, yeah. you know, <laughs> you wouldn't expect him to give something away at that point. Anyhow, and yeah, I mean, Perez, I mean, it just sort of seems that uh, that he's going to be back there. I mean, he said it was uh, that going back to McLaren didn't uh, seem to be, uh, it was never on the cards. I mean, obviously, they've got their lineup uh, with uh, with Lando and uh, Carlos Sainz for next year, which is going to be interesting to watch. But it's uh, it's it, it just kind of seems that would be the logical move for uh, Force India to make. And I don't think it would be a, a bad move. I mean, Lance himself, has been saying he hasn't had uh, the the real chance to show his full potential in Formula One because Williams' and, I mean, car is people, terrible, literally. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you take you've taken the words right out of my mouth. I mean, he he was good in the junior formulas. He was very successful, but he comes into Williams, which was a good move at the time. But they just have not been able to d- design or deliver any kind of car that's competitive. And who knows what even uh, how much better, a more experienced driver. I mean, the, the one criticism, of course, is that a, a young guy like Lance and uh, a guy like Sergei Sorokin, who don't have the experience in Formula One, might not have been able to as accurately help them develop that car and give the the engineers and the designers the the, the, the most, I guess, useful feedback. But hey, you know, whatever. I mean, but, it just uh, like say, seems like a good move to go to Force India yeah. for him and, uh, and go there with uh, Perez. The development of the car, the onus of it, of it is not on the driver, though. It's on the engineers, yep. and it's on the management of a team. And guess what? Claire Williams, from Claire Williams down, Williams 
hasn't been good enough. Period. Don't just blame it on the drivers. Take the blame on your shoulders too, Williams, because, well, it's your fault. And now, moving to Toro Rosso. And this is where it becomes interesting, because apparently, this weekend, a Russian Grand Prix, we will have an announcement, because two weeks ago, they mentioned, uh, expect an announcement in two weeks. And if you look at the Red Bull driver development system, they're all out of super license points. They don't have any drivers that has enough super license points to make their F1 debut next year. And, uh, well, it's in Russia, the next Grand Prix, that there's a Russian former driver for both Red Bull and Toro Rosso, and he's been seen around the team, so expect Danny Kvyat to be confirmed for the 2019 Toro Rosso lineup. Isn't that just amazing? I mean, it's uh, only been just a year. What was it after Silverstone last year was basically when he was out at uh, Toro Rosso. And I thought, oh, that's that's him. He's done. Gets that test driver role at uh, Ferrari. And I mean, that's not necessarily a a bad gig. But of course, you know, you're not uh, you're not racing in Formula One. But it's interesting how that's that it's it's just worked out that way. And it's it kind of brings into question like a lot of these sort of young driver programs. I mean, there's been all these sort of talk about like uh, Ocon and Verline and these like the, the Mercedes drivers and especially uh, uh, Ocon, who obviously has talent and has been able to, to do pretty decently. I mean, he's, he's matched up pretty good with uh, his more experienced teammate, Sergio Perez at Force India over the past year and a half. Yeah, he's been the better but, of the two, if you think, if you ask me. Yeah, I, actually, there there is a very good argument to, me, uh, to be made for that point, Kevin. Uh, I, I would not dispute that. But it's just funny that w- with all the, the, the changes going on, especially at Force India being uh, taken over by La- uh, Lawrence Stroll and his consortium and, and wrenched away from Vijay Malia and finally getting cash flow back into that team, how that they've sort of gone back, they've sprung back to the performances that we've seen over the past couple of years, you know, one of the best of the rest teams, sort of like in that that top half of the the, the, the grid. And just now that it just seems a foregone conclusion is going to be Perez and Stroll and uh, Ocon is the guy now that doesn't uh, have a, a chair now that the music stopped. It's just that how those Mercedes ties are really, really handcuffing him yep. and how other teams do not want to go near him with a 10-foot pole because of that. And... Uh, you know, Total Wolf has been saying now that they're willing to play the long game with uh, with guys like Esteban, <laughs> and uh, it just might mean that uh, for the next year or so he might not have uh, a, a seat in, in in Formula One. So he'll be I a get, uh, a very good simulator driver for Mercedes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, it might be something like that, but I guess the that that sort of and we could probably do a whole show on this is uh, maybe the, the whole discussion about the young driver programs. And then the uh, like the, the the possibilities of third cars, but uh, <laughs> like I say, that that's a long and detailed discussion yeah. that we probably don't have time to fit in this afternoon. And the other name now that's been talked about for Toro, so it's interesting because we mentioned how the Mercedes ties for Esteban Ocon might impede his chances to get a drive somewhere else. Yeah. One driver who used to, and I say used to, because it happened earlier. This week used to have Mercedes ties. Pascal Verline ripped those ties and shred them to pieces. Now he is literally a free agent with no ties anywhere, and he's been linked with Toro Rosso now. Yeah, that's an interesting one too, and I, I think that uh, Verline had shown in his brief time in Formula One uh, with uh, Manor Racing, and uh, you know, it, it just kind of and, and Sauber last year that uh, 
that there was something there. I mean, there was a reason why this this guy was the reserve driver in the Hamilton and Rosberg era at uh, at Mercedes Benz, and uh, it, it just it seems that his career took a, a real detour when he had that uh, that crash and that injury Monaco, at the yeah. race of championships where it was at in miami or whatever it was uh, i yeah. think it was about two years ago yeah i think and so that, and then the the weird crash in monaco last year where he was yes. flipped against the guardrail literally and it could have been really dangerous yeah when he sort of uh, when button stuck his nose in there and yeah. i mean it was no fault of his own it just uh, button got in the wrong place at the wrong time and poor pascal gets uh, literally punted and flipped into the to the barrier there so uh, he, he's obviously had his problems with, the, with with crashes and injuries, and um, again, it seems those ties to Mercedes have really handcuffed him, similar to uh, the, the same way that Esteban Ocon is dealing with. So if he's been able to to unshackle himself uh, from Mercedes and get a drive out of that, I mean, you know, good for him because it definitely looked like um, you know he had potential. It, it looked like he was quick enough to be in Formula One, and you know, ultimately, how good of a Formula One driver. He is remains to be seen, but I mean the Toro Rosso isn't a bad car. I mean Pierre Gasly has proved that uh, this year, and Brendan Hartley obviously not so much. But that's uh, why he won't be it, coming back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I, I mean he he's been living on borrowed time for you know half a season already. I mean those rumors were going back to um, sort of the latter part of the spring when uh, when France Tost was uh, trying to uh, sound out McLaren about uh, signing Lando Norris for the remainder of this year and then for a deal for next year. So I mean, he's just keeping the seat warm for somebody else at this point. Yep, and that'll be interesting. So now moving to Williams, we expect. Sirotkin and Stroll to move on, which leaves two seats open. Robert Kubica has been in the anti-chamber of a seat at Williams for almost a year now, so you kind of can expect Kubica to, to take one of those two seats. Then the rumor mill starts. You're thinking, okay, the musical dance is, is happening, and eventually the music stops and there's going to be a chair left. What, what engine do they have again? Oh, yeah, they have a Merck's engine. <laughs> so... uh Kubica and Esteban Ocon at Williams for 2019. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because I mean Kubica obviously is uh, losing patience, and uh, he said a couple of weeks ago that if he doesn't get a drive in Formula One for next year, that's it. He's he's done. He's going to take off. And I mean, I mean teams have taken a long hard look at him. I mean he had uh, several tests for Renault last year and uh, put significant miles on the car. I mean, he's obviously been R Williams' reserve driver, so, I mean, he thinks he's good enough for Formula One. Obviously, Williams thinks that he's good enough to be a reserve driver, and, and apparently, uh, it happens. Sorry, I mean, to, they, uh, sorry to cut you off, Mark. I was going to say, and apparently, he's the fastest of the three drivers, too. And, and that's the thing, where the driver who is the fastest on a one-lap basis is never given a chance to actually do a race this year, which is Robert Kubica. Yeah. And I mean, Kubica, I mean, he had potential. I mean, when he broke into Formula One 10 years ago, I mean, we saw it. I mean, Williams 10 years ago was much better than the Williams was now or is now. And uh, we, we saw him do quite well in, in the time that he was there. Obviously, his career in Formula One was ended prematurely when he had that horrible crash in, in rally cars that you know nearly cost him uh, his, his arm. And uh, it, it's been a long struggle back. I mean, just to the fact that he's in Formula One and was testing was was amazing enough. But to see that the guy is in the conversation for actually for a race seat again just absolutely boggles my mind. And I mean, if he is the the, the fastest of that those three guys, you know, why not uh, give him the 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 opportunity to to race? I mean, 
what do they really have to lose at this point? They're not designing good cars. They're not competitive. I mean, uh, at least give it to uh, the, the one guy that might <laughs> yeah. be able to get some, some more out of it. I mean, l- let's what? go back. To the- I was just going to say, right, uh, guess what? If uh, you bring Robert Kubica back, guess what yeah. people will be talking about in the first few races and in the first few press conference? Not about how terrible your car is, not about how you lost Martini's sponsorship, but they'll be talking about the great story that it is to see Robert Kubica back on an F1 grid. And if that's a positive story, yeah. and Williams needs positivity right now. Oh yeah, I mean it's been <laughs> that that's a great point. I mean, they have had not they haven't had any positive press around them uh, probably since Felipe Massa retired. <laughs> the first that's time. probably the last piece <laughs> of good news that they had and that was kind of not really good news, but I mean it was more of a, a testament than you know to recognizing the uh, the the career of a very good and very popular Formula 1 driver and ever since the focus has been on the negative on what the team hasn't been doing right. So they they need good press in whatever form that they can get. Now, the last team with a to-be-confirmed lineup for 2019 is Haas. And uh, if you would have asked me this question last year, I'd be like, Romain Grosjean, of course, will stay. And then Magnussen will be leaving. But Magnussen has been one of the standouts this year, consistently outdriving his teammate. And it's more and more likely each day that passes that Romain Grosjean will not be back with Haas, never mind in Formula 1. For next year, maybe with a potential swap in mind, let's not forget, Haas is one of the few teams to have stables, teams in different type of racing. They have an IndyCar team, they have NASCAR teams, and they might be able to put Romain Grosjean in a different setting where he can be successful, especially if Alonso goes to IndyCar next year. I wouldn't be surprised to see Grosjean go to IndyCar as well and to replicate success of other French drivers like Sebastian Bourdais and company. This leaves a door open for a driver that is driving for Haas right now in IndyCar and that has a lot of ties to Haas being both American and working for Haas for a long time. That will be Scott Dixon. So do not discredit the potential of having Kevin Magnussen and Scott Dixon driving for Haas F1 next year. Yeah, you know, that would be uh, fascinating. I think that uh, that K-Mag deserves to stay with Haas. I mean, he's been pretty stable all year. He seems to have found like, a, a pretty good home in the team there. And Grosjean, I think he's had more than his fair cracks at uh, at Formula One. And, and, and this year, uh, he's had some too many bizarre instances. I think he was the right guy at the right guy at the right time when they came into F1 in 2016. Definitely, they needed uh, somebody with uh, some Formula One experience to, to, to help get that team going. And I, I think it was a good move then. But ultimately, he's kind of proved to be his own uh, worst enemy. And uh, he just hasn't been able to match up. I mean, y- your teammate is always going to be the benchmark. So, I mean, if you're, you know, the, the guy that's got more experience and you're supposed to be the guy and you're miles behind your teammate, then there's there's something uh, wrong with that. So I would not be uh, very surprised to see, you know, uh, 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 Grosjean not back uh, next year. I mean, you look, Magnussen, he's current, currently ninth in the world championship with 49 points. And uh, Grosjean, he's 22 points adrift in 14th place. I mean, he's mixed up right there between uh, just uh, ahead of Leclerc and just behind uh, Gasly. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of par, uh, par for the course. But, I mean, when you're that many points behind your teammate, I think that is the, uh, the ultimate uh, kind of um, yardstick. 
So they kind of really need to, to make a decision there. And it would be fascinating to see Scott Dixon in, the, in Formula One. So just in general, though, just talking about all the changes that we've seen in Formula One this year the, with the driver market has been, I don't know if it's unprecedented, but I certainly don't remember a season like it. And I think it's been uh, pretty amazing. I think it's exciting, too, to see like where, where some of these guys are going to be for next year. And just how this uh, could all uh, really play out. So I, I'm I'm really looking forward to 2019, and uh, just to see how what what the grid finally looks like and who ends up where. The beginning of the changing of the guards, and I think it's about it time. Is. Yeah, and I think a lot of teams will benefit from their old veteran moving on and bringing in some new enthusiasm. So that that's good. Looking in the future for 2019, but before that. We have a race this weekend, the 2018 Russian Grand Prix, where it is expected Kvyat will be announced as the next driver for Toro Rosso, and it is expected as well that the Mercs will continue their dominance at that circuit, unless a big turn of event arises, I do believe that Lewis Hamilton will sign another victory this year and continue his march towards the fifth World Drivers' Championship. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you, Kevin. Uh, and I think that if it's not over already, then uh, I, I know there's a lot of races left. But uh, like I was saying at the top of the show, when, when you need this to happen and that to happen and you need to sp- uh, sprinkle th- those results with uh, magic pixie dust to, to get your own world championship uh, <laughs> hopes uh, ignited, then things aren't uh, looking very good. So I think that if uh, if Lewis wins this weekend and uh, and Vettel doesn't then it's i i think basically the the, the world championship at least uh, in theory is uh, going to be uh, lewis hamilton's i mean it's his to lose now as it is and uh, unless we see some very uncharacteristic hamilton errors or some very uncharacteristic uh, mercedes reliability problems i mean why would you bet against uh, lewis hamilton at a track where his team <laughs> has won all the races in the in the past few, uh, four years but on the flip side, I mean, maybe this is the race that uh, that uh, Vettel gets things going again, and uh, he starts uh, charging and uh, and making up for some uh, lost time. But he's going to need some help. I mean, the 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 big thing, of course, is if uh, he was to win that race and Hamilton was not to finish, then that forty point uh, gap would only be fifteen. So th- those are the kind of things that uh, that that Vettel's going to need to to really get uh, his uh, his world championship uh, ignited again. So. Uh, we'll see, uh, but uh, I agree. I think this is going to be a, another Mercedes weekend, and uh, well, we'll we'll have to discuss it uh, next week when we come back. Yeah. But uh, Kevin, before we go, just a, a quick uh, reminder of the the top five spots in the the drivers' championship at the moment: Lewis Hamilton on top with 281 points, Vettel, like I said, 40 points adrift in second to position with 241. Kimi Raikkonen in third position with 174 points. His countryman and Mercedes rival Valtteri Bottas in fourth position with 171 points. And Max Verstappen, who obviously turned his season around in a big way after Monaco, is in fifth spot in the World Drivers' Championship in his Red Bull with 148 points. And then just over on the other side, of course, it is still only a uh, two-horse race in the Constructors' Championship. Mercedes pulling out a little bit of a a, a gap, a comfort uh, zone, if you will, between the Ferrari and the Mercs have 452 points compared to 415 for Ferrari. And Red Bull in a very distant third position with 274 points. And uh, Kevin, that's all I got for this week. Yeah, and uh, just wanted to finish the show with this, too. Uh, 
Max Verstappen has been touted as the uh, next great thing. He won races already, had podiums, but the one thing we thought he was going to get is the youngest ever pole position. And if he doesn't get it this weekend, I think it's curtains. And he's getting close to the age of where he won't be the youngest one to get a pole. And I doubt it's going to happen because uh, the circuit is not made for the Red Bull Renault engine. And I believe it's going to be a Mercs getting the pole position. So, well, close, but uh, no youngest pole position in my mind for Max Verstappen. And it's going to be too late. Yeah, this is like you say, it is the last kick at the can uh, for for this. And uh, but who knows? I mean, we've seen Max do some very impressive things. I wouldn't put it beyond him. However, I do agree with you. It just does not seem very likely that uh, that'll happen. So it's hard to think that Max might not be the youngest to whatever. I mean, it just uh, shows <laughs> how long he's been in Formula One now. I mean, this is what his fourth season. Yeah, fourth it's season? his fourth <laughs> season as an F1 driver. His second full Dave. one with. Uh, Renault, well, Rebel, and with Toro Rosso for two before that. That's right. Yeah, amazing how how quickly time has uh, gone. But again, I mean, he has uh, the uh, at least from from the looks of it, all the ap- like the uh, the aptitude and the the talents and the skills to become a Formula One world champion. So we'll see. You know, if he gets a, a very good engine and a very good car, who who would bet against uh, Max Verstappen? I mean, he sometimes does things that you wouldn't expect in a car that uh, that that doesn't quite have the oomph as the Ferrari and the Mercedes but uh, somehow he still finds a way to make that uh, that uh, Red Bull competitive and uh, F1 is obviously a much more exciting series with Max Verstappen in it and obviously when Max winning races or being competitive so always always good to watch Max and of course I'm a little bit biased being half Dutch <laughs> uh, it's, it's always good to see a Dutch driver there and uh, yeah, they go crazy. I when I lived in Holland, uh, or I was kind of like right at the end of the uh, the Jos Verstappen era. His dad, so that's going uh, back uh, a ways. But uh, they 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 love their Formula One in Holland, and they love their Dutch drivers. So I'm just going to give out a, a shout to my uh, my fellow countrymen. So there you go. I'm allowed um, to be a homer every once in a while in the show, oh, Kevin. Yeah. So you can't. <laughs> of course, you're allowed. And uh, Mark, before we say goodbye, where can the listeners find your crazy and amazing work? You can follow my personal account on Twitter at MarkJRDaily, and that's Mark with a K and a daily with an E-Y at the end. And if you want to follow this show on Twitter, just find us at Scuderia F1 Pod. Love talking Formula One anytime, any day. So send me a tweet. Let's talk Formula One. And you can follow myself on social media at Kev Larme and the network at Sports Podnet. You can find this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts and at Scuderia F1 Pod. Until next time, have a great Russian Grand Prix. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. 
Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?